0: We'll hear argument first in Case nineteen eight ninety six Johnson versus Arteaga. Mr.
1: Rayner, Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court: Section twelve thirty one a six states that certain categories of non citizens, including inadmissible non citizens like respondent here, quote, may be detained beyond the removal period. End quote. The question presented in this case is whether that language requires that non-citizens detained under Section 1231 a 6 be afforded a bond hearing before an immigration judge after six months of detention at which the government bears the burden of proving by clear and convincing evidence that the non-citizen is either a flight risk or a danger to the community. That question answers itself. Respondent implicitly recognizes the absence of any textual support for his position on the question presented. He accordingly focuses on an altogether different issue, namely whether he is entitled to outright release under this Court's decision in Zad Vita's because his removal is not reasonably foreseeable. That argument would require modifying the judgment below, which afforded respondent a bond hearing, not outright release. Because he did not file a cross-petition for a writ of certiorari, that argument is not properly presented here, and this Court should reject it for that reason alone. In any event, the argument is mistaken— unlike in Zadvitas, the detention here pending a proceeding is not indefinite. It has a logical termination point, the conclusion of the proceeding. It therefore does not trigger the Zadvitas rule. This court should reverse the judgment below. Starting with the text. Here, in order to succeed, respondent has to both rewrite the substantive standard contained in the statute as well as the procedural standard, the statute enumerates four substantive bases for detention. Well, be, I mean, as an initial matter, haven't we crossed that bridge in Zadvydas? I don't think so, Mr. Chief Justice. On his Zadvydas argument, it's true. The Court held that there's an implicit limitation in the statute that once removal is not reasonably foreseeable, detention isn't authorized. That argument isn't presented here. If the Court wanted to go down that road, it would have to assess whether detention pending a proceeding is indefinite within the meaning of Zadvydas. And Damore answers that question in the negative. But on the argument that responds to the question presented and that was decided below, he wants a bond hearing that affords him release if he's not a flight risk or a danger to the community. And that is a separate substantive standard than was at issue in Zavitas.
0: I My question is, in your objections in your brief, of course, is that um, uh, the, the provisions that are at issue here are not in the statute. Um, uh, and the, your, your objection is that we shouldn 't read, read them all in, and I just wonder if we 've already decided that uh, the statute can be expanded beyond its plain terms in zavitas
1: i don 't think so, Mr. Chief Justice. in Jennings, this court said that Zadvitatas was not a license to read in whatever protections you think are warranted under the constitution and I think it 's important here to distinguish between the two different parts of his claim: one is procedural. He wants a a bond hearing before an immigration judge at which we bear the burden of proof by clear and convincing evidence. Those are procedural protections that he's trying to read into the statute. But the other portion of his claim is substantive, and that doesn't involve reading something into the statute. It involves rewriting the statute. So the statute enumerates four bases for detention, inadmissibility, deportability on specified grounds, flight risk, or danger. But according to respondent, the first two bases for detention stop at six months, and only the latter two bases continue to apply after six months. So there's a serious Clark V. Martinez problem with this approach because he's reading the may-be-detained language to have different meanings as applies to different categories of non-citizens covered by the statute. So under respondent's interpretation, may-be-detained means may-be-detained for up to six months to the extent you're detained on inadmissibility or deportability grounds. But to the extent you're detained on flight risk or danger grounds, may be detained means may be detained indefinitely as long as you are accorded certain procedural protections.
2: But I, I, I guess, you know, just following up on what the Chief Justice said, um, we're, we're dealing here with the same statute as we were dealing with under uh, in Zedvitas, a different statute from the one we were dealing with in Jennings. And, uh, and, Zadvitis says may involves some ambiguity. It gives discretion, but not unlimited discretion. I can see how one might argue with that conclusion in Zadvidis, but that's very clearly what we said in that case. So here, same statute, same word. It seems as though, you know, Zadvitis says uh, there's some ambiguity. There's uh, uh, the discretion is not entirely unlimited, um, we get to take into account constitutional considerations because of that ambiguity that Zedvitas found. Um, and that's what Mr. Shah is saying we should do here is, is uh, you know, and the, the reason it applies to only a couple, you know, one category and not the other category is because the Constitution has nothing to say about the other category. So
1: why isn't that Right. Zadvitas is distinct in an important respect in that there the court drew its interpretation from the logic of the statute. And it said the purpose of this statute is to ensure that the non-citizen is present at the time of removal. And if removal isn't reasonably foreseeable, the purpose is no longer served, so the statutory authority runs out. So there was a connection there between the interpretation that the court adopted and the internal logic of the statute, and that connection is absent here. No one has attempted to draw a connection between the purpose or the function of the statute and the entire procedural framework that the lower court engrafted onto the statute.
2: Well, is, was that Zadvydas really limited to that. I mean, Zadvydas first talks about um, if removal uh, is not reasonably foreseeable, but then Zadvydas goes on, and there is a sentence in Zadvydas that says even if even if removal is reasonably foreseeable, uh, the the court should consider the risk of the aliens committing further crimes. You know, essentially pointing to a factor that's a very common factor in bail hearings. So Zadvydas seems to. Seem to think of itself as extending beyond that very sort of core purpose
1: of inquiry that you referred to. That second line that you referenced, Justice Kagan, we agree with it. The statute says that danger is a consideration. And so when it said you should consider danger, the court was just reiterating one of the considerations in the statute. And We definitely don't think that that single line from Zadvitas can be read to nullify the other three considerations in the statute. Zadvitas didn't purport to do that. And even if we were to focus in isolation on that line, it doesn't support respondents' tests because it doesn't mention flight risk. It only mentions danger. It doesn't reiterate all of the bond criteria that respondent thinks are traditional.
2: Well, maybe. I mean, maybe it could have been a little bit more comprehensive or a little bit more exact about what it was referring to. But it seems to be pretty clear in saying, you know, the kinds of things that you worry about when you worry about releasing people, which is exactly what a bond hearing is supposed to do. Now, it didn't go through all the procedures that, uh, Mr. Shaw is asking for here today. Um, but again, you know, it says May is ambiguous. That ambiguity allows us to import constitutional considerations. Uh, in doing that, we should be thinking about bond hearing type things. You put all that together, it seems like, you know, there's a reasonable argument here that Vitas points, um, uh, you know, pretty straight straightforwardly in, uh, the uh, respondent's direction.
1: Justice Kagan, even if you thought May was a license to pour in these procedural protections, I still don't think that would get you to the substantive rewrite. So, Zavidis' rule applies across the board to all non citizens covered by the provision. Once removal isn't reasonably foreseeable, statutory authority runs out. But again, here, there's a Clark v. Martinez problem that was not present in Zadvitas. And that is, may be detained means one thing when it applies to inadmissible or deportable noncitizens, but it means something different when it applies to flight risk or danger noncitizens. So they're trying to parse this language and apply different rules to different categories, and that's what Clark v. Martinez rejects, and that wasn't present in Zadvitas. And although you, know, you mentioned that Jennings involves a different provision, I do think it's instructive because 1226A is the most on-point aspect of Jennings, there, the language is, may be released on bond, and the Court said the word may isn't a license to just pour in whatever procedural protections you want. That issue there were periodic bond hearings and clear and convincing evidence requirements, so very similar requirements to the ones that the Court here poured in, and Jennings said that wasn't permissible.
3: Counsel, um, you're talking about pouring in all of these rewrites. But in essence, and I think this is the question that Savitas answered and that Justice Kagan was alluding to, um, the basic point of Savitas is you really can't keep someone indefinitely um, without a reason, basically. And that reason, I think you would concede, can't be just whim. We don't like this person because... Uh, easy to point to a racial reason, but it could be something as simple as, we just don't like them. Um, Is it your position that there is no process by which that type of judgment could be challenged?
1: That is not our position, Justice Sotomayor. Um, We agree that, for example, I mean, there is a robust internal review process here and obviously a habeas suit would be permissible if the non-citizen wanted to challenge whether he fell within one of the statutory grounds for detention, and to the extent you're worried about indefinite. So
3: detention. what you're what you're worried about is that you think that the government has no obligation, except internally, um, to explain to a neutral arbitrator at a certain point why they're keeping an individual, because most of what procedures that the this hearing that the courts have fashioned, except for the burden of proof, and we can go to that later, are pretty sensical. Um, government, come in and tell us why you're keeping this person. This is a may, it's discretionary, but there can't be arbitrary and capricious. Explain it. And that to me seems like a fairly simple process, not one that we're rewriting, but which is in the nature of the question presented, which is, can you keep them indefinitely?
1: To be clear, Justice Sotomayor, the Zadvitas rule doesn't permit courts to review an exercise of discretion. All it permits courts to review is the. But a discretion can't be arbitrary and capricious. And so there has to be a
3: basis for the exercise of discretion. And what these hearings are doing is putting you to
1: that test, isn't it? No, Justice Sotomayor. The purpose of a Zadvitas hearing is to determine whether removal is reasonably foreseeable. And that's, that's just a limit on statutory authority. And that's it-
3: not quite true because um, Zadvitas doesn't say you have to let them out if they're a danger to the community.
1: Correct. There is an exception mentioned in Zadvitas for, for specially dangerous non-citizens, and that's, that's an entirely separate set of regulations. But the basic Zadvitas rule is about statutory authority. And we agree that the question of statutory authority could be raised in a habeas suit here. Respondent obviously hasn't done that because we clearly do have the statutory authority to detain him. He is inadmissible, which is one of the grounds for detention. And to the extent you're, you're worried about indefinite detention, Zadvitas already solved this problem. Um, Zadvitas says if it's not reasonably foreseeable, you can't detain the non-citizen. That's fundamentally different than what's going on here because this is detention pending a proceeding, which DeMoor says has an immigration-related purpose and is not indefinite in the sense that the open-ended detention in Zadvitas was.
4: But, but what, if it, what if it still doesn't have a reasonably foreseeable conclusion? I mean, to pick up on one theme of Justice Sotomayor's question— what if the withholding of removal proceedings continued to drag on and on and on? Or, you know, in Zedvitas, there was no country willing to take him, but he, he was removable. Are you arguing that the Zedvitas right is particular only to that situation? Or would you concede that there's some point at which when someone is held in removal proceedings and has, you know, sought withholding of removal, that at some point a Zedvitas-type determination must be made?
1: Our position is that Zadvitas is limited to that first situation where it's just open-ended detention. Zadvitas does not apply to detention pending a proceeding. I think DeMora makes this pretty clear. But we would acknowledge the possibility of an as-applied constitutional challenge in extreme circumstances. So if the detention went on and on, as you say, if the government were seeking continuances, if the government were responsible for the delay, there would be a host of factors that a court could potentially consider, and the lower courts are actively considering these kinds of claims we would acknowledge that might be permissible. Uh,
5: I, I don't understand, uh, if I can interrupt for a second. I mean, this this individual here has applied for uh, uh, for staying here for asylum. Isn't that what it is?
1: No, Justice Breyer. This is a withholding-only determination. He he has okay. no opportunity to have a legal entitlement to be in the United States. This is not an asylum application. But, he's subject to a final order of removal, and that's, that's not going anywhere. And
5: he's not said that he's going to be persecuted, and maybe I have the wrong uh, case here. This is—
1: uh, he, so he has asserted the likelihood of persecution, but yeah. this is a withholding-only proceeding, which means the only form of relief he has the ability to apply yeah. for is withholding under the Convention Against Torture. All right, so withholding of removal. So he wants if you withhold removal, he stays, Right. He does not obtain a legal entitlement to stay. I
5: don't know if he is. Is he here or does he go to Mexico if, in fact, they're going to kill him when he gets to Mexico?
1: He will not go to Mexico, but we retain the discretion to remove him to another country. Okay, and I would like to
5: know when you think, as far as the record is concerned or anybody else, he's going to reach, you're going to reach a decision as to whether he gets to stay in the United States until you find another country. And how long is it before you're likely to find another country?
1: Justice Breyer, if, so his withholding only proceedings are still ongoing he has not obtained that relief but if he I, were- I ask you for an estimate by the government as to when
5: the government is likely to find a place I don't care what place any place in the world besides the United States where
1: you will send him. The likeliest place that we will send him, Justice Breyer, is to Mexico. And I ask you when
5: it is likely that the government will reach a de- final decision on that.
1: So he's currently on the non-detained docket, Justice Breyer, which moves much more slowly. And his I'm asking only- you
5: for an estimate. As just, I, I know these are difficult to make. I'm not being, trying to be difficult. I want to know, as far as you know, when do you think he will be finally sent out of this
1: country? His next withholding-only hearing is scheduled for 2023, which is oh, on the non I see. That's document.
5: about a year or so. Now, frankly, it's rather hard for me to see the difference between the person who they were trying to send to Cambodia, I think, and finished his jail sentence in Zadvidas, and we said, yeah, hey, fine, go look around for a country for six months or so, and if you can't find a country and there isn't one right on the horizon, let him out. Or, but Now, there are exceptions. A lot of analogies to bail. Okay. Why wouldn't that same thing apply here? I mean, that's what it said. Same situation.
1: Justice Pryor, with respect, I don't agree that it's the same situation. Because? This is detention pending a proceeding, which DeMore says. Well, so that, what? DeMore says that it is fundamentally different from open-ended detention in Zadvitas. These same arguments were made by the dissent in DeMore and rejected. And dissent says. I mean, DeMore
5: overruled Zadvitas.
1: No, Demore did not overrule D'Amour. I didn't a think it situation. did either.
5: Hmm? I didn't, or if I decide that they're the same, then we should have the same result,
1: right? If you wanted to view. overrule De, I think that would require overruling Demore. Well,
5: I don't understand the difference between Demore and Zedvitas on your theory.
1: The difference, Justice Breyer, is that DeMoore dealt with detention-pending proceedings. So there's a logical termination point. Well,
5: there was, was a logical was, termination point but, in Zavitas when they send him to another country.
4: Has he actually obtained withholding relief? Because there would be a distinction, right, between proceedings yeah. that are dragging on when he has not yet been said to qualify for withholding of removal. And then if he is, I think— you know, Justice Breyer's um, point about the similarity between this situation and Zavitas would be most acute if he were determined eligible for withholding, but you couldn't find a country besides Mexico that would take him. Correct,
1: correct? Justice Barrett. We agree with that. If he were to obtain withholding only relief, he would be in Zavitas land. So because before he obtains
5: that, you can you can keep him in jail for 50 years. Is that the, your, your your response?
1: No, Justice Breyer. The general rule under Demore is that we can keep him in detention pending his proceeding. But as I discussed with Justice Barrett... Was was
2: Demore, um, Mr. Rayner, and I might be wrong about this, was Demore the one where the Solicitor General provided wrong information to the court and basically the court was uh, operating on a false understanding of how long some of these detentions lasted?
1: You're correct, Justice Kagan, oh. that the Executive Office for Immigration Review later provided updated statistics to this office, which we provided to so, the Court in So Jennings. when
2: DeMoore said that, when DeMoore said, look, it's pending a proceeding, DeMoore was thinking of, you know, a proceeding that was going to happen pretty soon. Six and I think the, the, the question here is, what if we're in a different situation than that? What if, in fact, it's not going to happen pretty soon, 2023? We just started 2022 that's a year away. He's already been detained for some time. I mean, now we're talking about, you know, some significant time. And uh, I'm, I'm not sure it quite matters to the person who's in detention whether you're in detention because they can't find a country or whether they're in detention because the immigration system is backed up.
1: I think that just, Justice Kagan-Demore, its frontline position was that detention pending proceeding is different. And then it adverted to the statistics, which were later modified, although not in significant respects. Here, even if you wanted to focus on the empirical aspect of this, the data that Respondent has submitted just suggests there's not a a big problem here. About 80% of these noncitizens don't appeal IJ determinations from withholding-only proceedings, and they're detained for an average of 114 days according to Respondent's data. And then even if you look at the entire category of noncitizens, some who appeal, some who do not, Still, the average length of detention is 157 days. And both of those numbers are well below the six months that Zadvid has found presumptively reasonable. Well, that's so fine. we don't— Thank you.
5: No, no, I—thank I, you. That, that's very helpful. The hundred and, and I think that's what Damore thought, that all these people are released within six months anyway. Those are the figures the SG gave us. So that's not a problem. But here you're telling me that maybe this person is going to be 2023 before he gets a hearing? That's much more than six months. That way, just just let me ask you a different question. And what what as to what kind of proceeding you ought to have if you if you can't keep the person there forever and you're going to keep him for more than six months or more than eight months or something? What Zadvitas actually says. What it actually says is, and this is still true, it's, it's in the, uh, the CFR. It says the sole procedural protections available to the alien are found in administrative proceedings where the alien bears the burden of proving he is not dangerous without, the government says, any significant later judicial review. And then there's some sites, etc. And then it says the Constitution demands greater procedural protection even for property. And the serious constitutional problem arising out of a statute that in these circumstances permits an indefinite, perhaps permanent deprivation of human liberty without any such protection, which means an independent body deciding it or an independent person uh, and no burden of proof against the individual, is obvious. The constitutional problem is obvious. That's what Zadvitas says. So what I don't see is how can the government, given that language in Zad Vitas, continue to say, oh, yes, whether it's the Zad Vitas type case or anything else under A6, continue to say, oh, we will give you a hearing. Oh, well, not quite a hearing. Well, you have the burden of proof, and, well, there is no judicial review. I can't find an analogy for such a thing. In habeas corpus law, or in bail law, or in any other detention law. I, 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 I'm not wedded to what it sounds as if I am, but I'm saying this because I want to hear what you say.
1: Justice Breyer, you're correct that 241.4, which is the post order custody review regulations, as well as 241.13, which are the ZAVETAS regulations, both provide purely for an administrative review process. But that doesn't mean that the non-citizen couldn't seek habeas review of statutory authority. Um, So if the non-citizen thinks, for example, that removal is not reasonably foreseeable, that is a statutory limit on our authority, and he can file a habeas suit for that, just like he did in Zadvitas. Similarly here, if he thinks he's not within one of the four grounds of detention, He can file a habeas suit. He's not going to do that because he is within the four grounds of detention. There's no dispute. He is inadmissible. Congress has authorized his detention. So I think this goes back to what I was saying earlier to Justice Kagan, which is that a critical piece here is that more process doesn't do him any good. He has to rewrite the substance of the statute in order to get relief. He has to delete the first two grounds for detention. And that's what he can't do in both Demore and Reno v. Flores. This court says that detention pending proceedings is permissible so long as it has a rational relationship to a legitimate government
5: purpose. Yeah, all right. Well, just I'll do this once last time. I'm not worried about why do you say delete the ground? What what Zadvidis seemed to say was fine. You have good grounds for holding the government. Hold him. You're thinking of sending him out of the country. Well, see if you have can do it, and do it if you can. But while you're deciding that, don't keep him forever in jail without a bail hearing. I mean, maybe it's six months, maybe it's five months, maybe it's seven months, uh, or maybe it depends upon how likely it is that you will reach a final decision soon. Now, as I read Zavidus, that's all it says. And I don't see why that wouldn't apply to all the grounds under A6, since A6 has language that's open to that. It uses the word may, not the word shall, as is in true of Rodriguez and uh, et cetera. That's really the basic question in my mind.
1: Justice Breyer, Zadvidas does not entitle a non-citizen to a bail hearing about flight risk and danger to the community. The only thing Zadvidas entitles a non-citizen to is a hearing about whether removal is reasonably foreseeable. And Zadvitas quite pointedly says um, that you can detain someone until removal is reasonably foreseeable. Thank you, Counsel. Uh, Justice Thomas? Uh, Justice Breyer, anything
0: further? No, thank you. Justice Alito? Justice Kagan? Justice Sotomayor?
3: One uh, question, Counsel. Um, You said that the next hearing in this case, in this particular petitioner's case, was scheduled for 2023, Um, but earlier you said that the average detention rate is below the six months, but that's not true. Average means that it's true for a lot of people, but it's not true for a lot of people as well. Um, As I understood some of the figures I reviewed, it when you talk about reasonably foreseeable, some of these proceedings can last years and years, couldn't they?
1: It is possible, but just Justice Sotomayor, I just want to clarify. His current hearing date is because he's on the non-detained docket. That hearing date was set after he was released on bond. So when he was still in detention, his hearing was much more imminent. But it is true that the non-detained docket moves more slowly.
3: You t- keep talking about an individual challenge as adequate to protect the rights of these individuals. Um, Most of these non-citizens are overwhelmingly non-lawyers. And um, for virtually all of them, English is not a first language. Most of them are impoverished. Um, And without the ability, given that the only opportunity they have is administrative, and so they're unlikely to be represented by lawyers... How are these aliens, without the help of the courts and lawyers, supposed to protect their rights?
1: Justice Sotomayor, the regulations provide for an interpreter if the non-citizen needs it. The non-citizen is entitled to be represented if he so chooses, and the non-citizen can submit information. And
3: They're not entitled to lawyers. They have to go find one.
1: It is correct that the government does not pay for lawyers in this context, but that, that's obvious. Now, it's
3: hard to see how impoverished people... Um, unfamiliar with the workings of this government, of this country, are going to find lawyers. It seems like a fair offering to say that an individual hearing is of any benefit to them,
1: counsel. Justice Sotomayor, I don't think respondent agrees with that. Respondent thinks an individual hearing is very important. Respondent is represented, and respondent hasn't suggested the absence of government-funded counsel is fatal to the system here. Uh, Justice Kagan, anything further? No. Justice Gorsuch.
0: Justice Kavanaugh, Justice Barrett, no. Thank you, counsel.
6: Mr. Shaw. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court, Vitas interpreted the exact same statutory provision at issue here to require release subject to condi- conditions of supervision, not outright release, when, after six months of detention, there is no significant likelihood of removal in the reasonably foreseeable future. That is exactly the position my client was in. DHS determined that mister Artiaga Arteaga-Martinez had demonstrated a reasonable fear of torture if removed to his home country, a threshold standard that only 13% of applicants satisfy that determination entitled him to immigration court adjudication of his claim for relief, which often takes a year, or as in this case, much longer, during which time he cannot be removed. After six months of detention without any independent review, he had not yet even received a hearing on his withholding claim, let alone a decision or subsequent appeals, at the end of which he might not be removed at all. Now, three years later... The government still seeks the power to imprison him, despite his significant family ties and lack of any criminal record, pending his bona fide yet still unadjudicated withholding of removal claim. Section 1231A6, as definitively construed in Zedvetus, forecloses his unchecked prolonged detention. The government responds that Zedvetus dealt only with the risk of permanent detention, although that risk certainly raised due process concerns motivating the court statutory construction, its construction was not limited to that extreme scenario. Section twelve thirty one A6 prohibits continued detention after six months, where, as here, there is quote, no significant likelihood of removal in the reasonably foreseeable future, end quote, not at just some point ever. As Justice Scalia who dissented in Zed Vitas, confirmed in Clark v. Martinez, that same construction must apply to all non citizens subject to Section 1231A6, including Mr. Artiaga Martinez. I welcome the court's questions.
0: Uh, counsel, you didn't mention 1231H. How do you get around that? Sure, you Nothing in this nothing in this section shall be concrued, construed to create any substantive or procedural right or benefit that is legally enforceable by any party against the United States or its agencies or officers or any other person.
6: Sure, a couple responses on twelve thirty one h. First of all, that provision was also raised in Zadvidas. And this Court rejected its application. It rejected its application because what 1231H is doing is it's saying, you can't have some separate use, use this statute to create some implied cause of action. Here we're not talking about any implied cause of action. This is a habeas claim. And so habeas is how he got into court. And now the question is, can you just enforce what the statute says? And, of course, the answer is you can enforce whatever limits well, what, the sta- the
0: what the statute says —
6: or what, I mean, how the statute has been construed by this Court in Zedvitas. And what this Court said in Zedvitas is even though it read a substantive limitation, you can't detain after six months, 1231H is in a bar. 1231H re- applies equally to substantive or procedural limitations. That's the exact text of 1231H. So if 1231H worked it uh, did not work in Zavidus. It cannot work here. And by the way — Well,
0: well Zavidus, I mean, so the, the statute has been construed to create a substantive or procedural right, and it was defined in Zavidus. So Correct. you think because it was done, in that respect, in Zavitas that all bets are off and that 1231H essentially has been read out of the statute books? Well, uh, two responses.
6: First of all, Your Honor, this Court did reject the 1231H argument in Zedvitas. It has to apply equally here because the 1231H applies equally to substantive or procedural limitations. Point number two is we haven't read it, neither this Court — well, hold, uh, hold.
0: Because the statute says you can't create substantive or procedural Limitations. Correct. And what did it do in Zavitas? Which of those types did it uh,
6: well, the, provide? Well, the government describes Zavitas as a substantive, right? A substantive decision put a s- substantive limit on detaining after six months of detention. So what I'm saying here, the court rejected 1231H, and the government says, well, this case is different because it's procedural limitations. But 1231H says, e- applies equally to substantive or procedural limitations. So if the court said — Well, did it in Zavitas?" The court rejected it. It said it doesn't. No, no, but abolish. both,
0: substantive and procedural?
6: Uh, well, uh, Z- I mean, what
0: I'm looking at it yeah. — I mean, if — if obviously, the force of Zavidus is central to the discussions yeah. here. Yes. And uh, — I'm wondering if Zavides — if you think that Zavides should be limited as opposed to Zavides should be overruled, my question is, how do you distinguish the applicability of 1231H? And you're saying, well, Zavides uh, did this. But how much of 1231H did Zavides um, — it, one might — your friend on the other side might say uh, 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 obliterate. The uh, other — you presumably would say uh, construed. Right. So if we're talking about 1231H,
6: the, the bar provision, as I said, this court rejected its application, but it's, it didn't read it out of the statute. What 1231H was designed to do, and this is explained in the legislative history of 1231H, it was specifically oh, — it gets better,
0: but go on.
6: <laughs> <laughs> it specifically was enacted to address the Ninth Circuit's use of mandamus at that time — to require the government to do expeditious removal of aliens because the predecessor to this statute had language that said expeditious removal. And what Congress did is said we disagree with that Ninth Circuit practice of using mandamus to enforce this limitation, what the Ninth Circuit had perceived as a limitation. So we're not reading 1231H out of the statute. 1231H still does work. You can't use it as an implied cause of action to willy-nilly enforce the statute. This is a habeas petition, just like in Zadvydas. And habeas, of course, you can enforce the statute. That's the purpose of, of, of habeas. So I don't think 1231H does the government any good here. I think the central point here is the one that Justice Kagan made uh, when, at, when questioning the government, which is, this statute has already been construed the test. And this is at page 701 of, of, of Zadvitas. The test is crystal clear in interpreting 1231A6. Here's what the court says. Quote, after the six-month period, once the alien provides good reason to believe that there is no significant likelihood of removal, in the reasonably foreseeable future, the government must respond with evidence or release him with um, uh, subject to conditions of supervision. That is precisely the situation. In Clark v. Martinez, this court said that provision, even though it was written with the Zedvitis type petitioners, it has to apply to all people subject to 1231A6 because that was a statutory construction. Certainly, the Zedvitis petitioners are one class of people whose removal was not reasonably foreseeable after six months of detention. My client is yet another example of someone who there was no significant likelihood of removal in the reasonably foreseeable future after he had been detained at six months. And that is because he had not even been given a hearing while detained. We're not talking about the non-detained docket. We're talking about detained. He had been detained for six months. The government had not given him a hearing on his withholding claim. There is no chance— he could have been removed in the reasonably foreseeable future because you can't remove him until he has a hearing, has an IJ decision, has his BIA appeal. We are talking months, if not
2: years, until that happens. M- Mr. Shah, this argument that you make, and it's the first argument you make in your brief, that there's um, no reasonable likelihood, uh, no reasonable foreseeability of of, uh, 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 of, of removal Was that the way this case was presented below? Has anybody, has any other court had an opportunity to deal with the claim as you are making it now? Uh, Your Honor, it wasn't pitched um, in this
6: way below, and that's because of the procedural posture of this case. How this case came up to the Third Circuit, it came up on an unopposed motion filed by my client for summary affirmance uh, after he had already been released. The government didn't oppose it because of binding Third Circuit precedent. So what happened here, he's already been released on bond. He files an unopposed motion for summary affirmance. The government consents. He has then continued to be on release. So there wasn't any occasion to kind of air out any of these arguments, actually, because it was an unopposed motion of summary affirmance. So the answer to your question is no. It wasn't fleshed out below, but none of this was. Yeah.
2: Um, so for yeah. whatever reason, if it wasn't fleshed out below, and it, it sounds awfully factual the way uh, you are making it, and not the kind of thing we usually do to decide a, a pretty fact-bound question that's never really been addressed by anybody else, sure. what does that suggest? So I guess two responses. Uh,
6: First, let me just address the predicate of the question that it's fact-bound. Your Honor, I don't think it's really all that fact-bound because the question is, again, the test is significant likelihood of removal in the reasonably foreseeable future. Nobody, not even the government, can get up here with a straight face and tell you after six months that his removal would happen in the reasonably foreseeable future. However you want to define reasonably foreseeable future, he hadn't been given a hearing let alone an IJ decision, let alone a BIA appeal. We know from Zedvidas, this court's opinion said it's presumptively unconstitutional after six months. We know that at the six-month point, we are talking months, if not years, before he could be removed. So it's not really factual at all, because if reasonably foreseeable means anything, it has to mean at least within a year. And, And the government cannot say, Justice Breyer asked him, even on the detained docket, and we have statistics from through 2015, If you talk to any immigration lawyer, those numbers have skyrocketed since then. The government has that data. It hasn't disclosed it. We can ask them
4: again. How long does it take? Well, can I ask you a question about that, Mr. Shaw? Because when I asked Mr. Rayner about proceedings that would drag on like this, he said, well, the government doesn't rule out, in fact, accepts the possibility of as-applied constitutional challenges to extended detentions of the sort that you're identifying. So could you have brought that kind of challenge, and do you think it would have succeeded? And and if so, why didn't you?
6: Well, Your Honor, we are here on an as-applied challenge. This challenge was brought after six months of detention. It's an as-applied challenge to his continuing detention. Now, it can't be the case, Your Honor. The test is— At the six-month mark, is there a significant likelihood of removal in the reasonably foreseeable future? Again, there is no one could argue that there was a reasonably foreseeable prospect of removal in the reasonably foreseeable future. That was his as-applied challenge. And it should be granted. There isn't any magical — But is that, the,
4: is that a, that's not a constitutional no, it No, it,
6: it's the statutory provision that was uh, — that's a statutory test that this court used constitutional avoidance in light of due process concerns to interpret 1231A6. But I
4: guess unless I misunderstood what Mr. Rayner was saying, I thought I understood him to be saying that there could be an as-applied constitutional challenge, that at some point it would violate your client's constitutional it, it, rights.
6: Sure. If the government could keep him locked up for years — and you denied the statutory claim perhaps after some indefinite time that the government believes has to be close to permanent detention perhaps you could bring an as applied due process challenge that he's been locked up years but you shouldn't have to be wait you shouldn't have to wait until you're locked up for years under Zevitas the 6 month mark is when you can bring the claim and if there's no significant likelihood that you're going to be removed in the reasonably foreseeable future.
1: How are you defining reasonably foreseeable future
6: and on what are you basing that? Sure. So I think the best place to look is Zedvitas itself. And what Zedvitas says is, well, is 90 days when it's presumptively unconstitutional? Is it six months? And Zedvitas takes the longer limit, right? At page 701, it says, we're going to presume that six months is when it's presumptively unconstitutional, but we're not going to hold that court. Uh, the government to that rigid line because we realize that sometimes removal is in the works. So we're going to ask, after the six-month period, is there a significant likelihood he'll be removed in the reasonably foreseeable future? And then the next sentence says, that period shrinks as the detention grows longer. So I think the one thing, Justice Kavanaugh, that we can safely say—
1: in terms of the lower courts, if we are yeah. fleshing out reasonably foreseeable future, I think sure. there could be chaos unless we say something more specific. So- and what would you advise, and on what are you basing that? Sure. Okay, so two, two
6: things. One thing I think what you can safely say is reasonably foreseeable has to be less than six months because the court already set the presumptive constitutional line at six months and then said we're going to allow a residual buffer. So it would be weird to think that the reasonably foreseeable period can be longer than the presumptively constitutional period. That's one possible line. But the other line you could adopt, which is clear as day— as applied to our client is, when you are in withholding of removal proceedings, which again, often take years, if you had not even had a hearing by the time of the six-month mark, then you satisfied that test. That is a bright line that would apply in a lot of these cases, because as the government can tell you, you can ask them, how many of these people get hearings by the six-month mark? The answer is not very many today if you talk to any immigration lawyer, So that is another bright line if they haven't even had a hearing on their withholding of removal claim, let alone an IJ decision, let alone appeals, they're not going to be released in the reasonably foreseeable future.
5: One of the government's arguments is that these procedural requirements that you are reading into the statute would violate Vermont Yankee. And you didn't respond to that. Do you have a response to it?
6: Uh, Your Honor, yeah. So I guess two things. One is now we're not talking about the antecedent argument. I think we're talking about the bond hearing uh, argument, our bond hearing argument, Your Honor, uh, just flows from the other part of the Zvetus decision, not putting aside all other kind of reading in implicit limitations and all of that. If you just look at Zvitatus at page uh, seven hundred, what it says is this, and we 've now been arguing mostly about the 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 holding that says if there 's no significant likelihood of removal in the reasonably foreseeable future, which, again, I don't think there's any argument that we're not in that box. But we are if we're not in that box, then the question is, even if removal is reasonably foreseeable, then what happens? Well, I,
5: I'm not sure I really understand your, your answer. One, the, we took this to decide about bond hearings and about the
6: clear and convincing evidence standard. Um, are, are those requirements consistent with Vermont Yankee? So... Your Honor, here's what, I guess my response is, here's what the court said. If removal is reasonably foreseeable, so we're assuming we're in that second box, the habeas court should consider the risk of the aliens committing further crimes as a factor potentially justifying confinement within that reasonable removal period. So I would just ask that this court apply that part of Zedvitas if you disagree with me somehow that we're not in the reasonably foreseeable removal uh, uh, box. Uh, And then the question is... So
5: you you read Zadvitas to alter what the court said in Vermont Yankee?
6: Well, Your Honor, I don't don't view it as altering or not. I think it's a separate sort of inquiry here. We're in a habeas court. The habeas court has to... And and the court specifically talks about the court making this inquiry, resolving, looking at, in order to justify continued detention, those factors. So I'm not sure how you... uh, I, don't, I think you just apply in, in a case that's directly on point, you apply those circumstances. I guess that would be uh, m- my response. And Justice Kagan, I never finished uh, my response to your question because uh, I was fighting the predicate that there had to be factual development. But you asked me, okay, look, if, if you decide there this is too messy to decide. Well, the right thing to do is not, as the government suggests on page 12 of their reply, just to remand this issue To the Third Circuit to decide, but I think you would have to dig the case because it doesn't make sense to decide the logically downstream issue of bond hearings and all the procedural requirements that might go into that without deciding the logically antecedent question is, do they satisfy the main test of Zedvitas? There is no significant likelihood of removal in the reasonably foreseeable future for a client, uh, for someone like my client. You have to decide that first before deciding the downstream question about bond hearing. So to answer your question directly, I think if the court is not inclined to decide that logically antecedent and, to me, uh, uh slam-dunk inquiry, if the Court isn't inclined to decide that, then I think it should dig both this case and the Alleman-Gonzalez case, because in neither case was this threshold issue uh, litigated because of the unique posture of how those cases came to this Court.
0: Well, Mr. shai it, if we do decide the downstream issue before the upstream, it would hardly be the first time. And it's not necessarily an inappropriate use of our certiorari jurisdiction to resolve Downstream disagreements or other reasons for cert while not addressing upstream ones. We do that, I don't want to say all the time, but no <laughs> sure. one is shocked when well, it happens. I think, Your Honor, I think there's a couple specially good reasons not to do that
6: here. One is because what you say in the downstream, um, resolving the downstream issue, it's hard to do that without thinking about the upstream issue, if you will, about whether there is a significant likelihood of removal in the reasonably foreseeable future, because, again, those two inquiries in Zed are connected, right? It was the, They're in the same paragraph. They're logically connected, and it's hard to put yourself to, to assume you're not even going to think about that before deciding the bond hearing question. The reality is there was no, not even close to a significant likelihood of removal in the reasonably foreseeable future when you haven't had a bond hearing. And then to decide what the procedural protections are if you artificially assume that he could have been removed in the reasonably foreseeable future, I think is a difficult inquiry to undertake. And I would would also mention uh, that the Sixth Circuit, uh, at the time this Court The government filed its petition. There was no circuit split. There were only two circuits that decided this issue. Since then, to my knowledge, only one other circuit has come into play, even on the bond hearing issue. And so I think these entire slate of issues would benefit from further percolation and development if this court isn't going to decide the logically antecedent issue. And, in fact, the dissent in the Sixth Circuit case adopted our view of reasonable foreseeability that if you haven't had a hearing at six months, You can't say that there's any likelihood, let alone a significant likelihood, of release in the reasonably foreseeable future. We're talking about years uh, years here. Mr.
7: Shaw, another upstream issue for you. Yes. Uh, What is the status of your client? Has he, in fact, received a bond hearing, and is he, in fact, at liberty currently?
6: Yes, Your Honor. So what happened, Your Honor, is uh, after the six-month mark under the Third Circuit's precedent, he did receive a bond hearing, He was released. The government never appealed his release, by the way, and so he has been free, um, um, uh, under-supervised conditions of release since that time. So I I certainly understand we have similar issues in the
7: next case where we have uh, someone who is currently being detained, as I understand it. But with respect to your client, does that moot his claim, and if not, why not?
6: Uh, I don't think legally it moots the claim, Your Honor, because the government still seeks the power to re-detain him. And so, if you were to rule against us in the government's view, it could simply put him back into custody and so is from it, a legal standpoint I understand, I
7: understand that, yeah. but but normally we, we ask about how speculative that would be and so we'd have to speculate I think that the government would detain him or we'd have to we'd have to be have some assurance he, he, he is likely to be detained again and that he'd be held for more than six months without another bond hearing having already received one at six months.
6: Well, the, the six-month limit
7: oh, — sorry. No, I'm just, I'm just yeah. curious, is that under our, our precedents in terms of how speculative something has to be before it's moot or not moot? Where does that fall on the line?
6: So, Your Honor, I, I don't think it is actually a mootness problem because, again, I think from the government standpoint, this is a question of their power and they exercise their discretion either way in all sorts of cases. Perhaps that might be better — Directed to the government, but what will i what I will say is it 's not a question of whether he'll receive a bond hearing within six months it's whether he'll receive a hearing on his substantive claim for withholding relief, and i don 't think that's at all certain that he would get that within six months, given the backlog in the immigration uh, courts, even on the detained docket. Uh, the but you
7: have no information that he's likely to be detained again or that he wouldn't receive at least a bail hearing again if he were detained after your, six your months? Your Honor, under
6: the government's view, that would be purely within their discretions, and I don't know how they would exercise their okay. discretion. Thank you. Uh, the one other point I want to make is about DeMorvi. I'm
3: sorry, counsel. Oh. Oh, your, sorry. I think your point is um, if the court rules in the government's favor in this case, there will be no opportunity for a further hearing. Correct? correct.
6: The government has made clear that it does
3: not oh, oh, to be clear,
7: it. I understand that. My, okay. my question yes. to you was not if we rule in the government's favor, but whether we should rule in this particular sure. case as opposed to the next one. You, you understood that, right? Yeah.
6: Yeah. Yeah. Yes, Your Honor. Uh, thank you. The, the one other point I would make is about De more v. Kim. The government argues that De more v. Kim is now somehow more on point than Zedvitas. First of all, De more v. Kim dealt with a different statute, 1226C, And, and that's fundamentally important because that dealt with mandatory detention of criminal aliens. Congress, and this is heavily, this is the main rationale in DeVore v. Kim. There are two rationales in DeVore v. Kim for allowing that detention. One is Congress had made the categorical judgment that categorical, uh, that criminal aliens were too dangerous to release. One major distinction. Second major distinction is the period of detention. The court functioned on the premise that in the vast majority of cases, these people were detained less than two months, about a month or a month and a half. And in the outer limit case, they were detained at five months. So they didn't even hit the presumptive unconstitutional line that this court set up in Zidvitas. So I don't see how De V. Kim is even in the ballpark of why we would be talking about it because Zidvitas kicks in only for people who've been detained longer than six months. That is not the Damore class, the class of criminal aliens that Congress had categorically said we can't release because they're a danger to society. Here we're talking about 1231A6, a statute that has discretionary detention, and here we're talking about my client who has no criminal record at all.
2: If there are no — Mr. Shaw, I suppose that um, this Court thinks about Zadvitas as, you know, a precedent that uh — needs to be applied but not one that is altogether comfortable and should not be extended I yes. mean suppose that that's the uh, view of Zadvitas on this court I mean what does that suggest about your case uh, you know is even the preliminary argument you make let alone the second argument an extension of Zudvitas? Uh if not why not
6: your Honor, I am not asking this court to extend Zadvydas one millimeter. And, and Clark v. Martinez, this court was situated in a very similar place. It was not fond of Zadvydas at that time. Justice Scalia wrote Clark v. Martinez. He dissented in Zadvydas, And what he said is this, is like it or not, and whether you disagree with it or not, Zadvydas construed 1231A6. And you cannot pick and choose. It's ironic that the government invokes Clark v. Martinez, because it is categorically violating Clark v. Martinez, saying that it only, that Section 1231A6 interpretation of Zedvitas only applies to petitioners who are situated like Zedvitas. Clark v. Martinez says no, it applies to all people who fall within 1231A6 because it's a statutory It's a statutory construction. So what I'm asking you to do, Justice Kagan, what I'm asking this Court to do is not revisit Zedvitas at all, not extend it at all, but apply the test that is set out in black and white at page 701 of Zedvitas. This is the core holding of Zedvitas. At the six-month period, once the alien provides good reason to believe there is no significant likelihood of removal in the reasonably foreseeable future, the government must respond with a evidence, or release them subject to conditions of supervised what about release? the burden
4: of proof, the clear and convincing?
6: Um, well, Your Honor, under, un, under this inquiry, that would fall away. Uh, uh, the, the burden of proof uh, is, is just this. The alien has to provide good reason to believe there's no significant likelihood of removal, and then the government has to rebut it. And so we, we accept that in that situation, under the logically antecedent argument, we have to show a good reason of no significant likelihood of removal in the reasonably foreseeable future. But we've amply met that here, given that he had not even been given a hearing on his substantive claim uh, at the six-month mark. There is no chance, not even a significant likelihood, there is no chance he could have been removed in the reasonably foreseeable future because the law bars you to be removed until you've gotten a hearing, an IJ decision, and a BIA appeal. So we're talking comfortably uh, months, if not years, from that six-month mark. So... Justice Kagan, hopefully I've answered the question. So I'm, I think
2: you did yeah. answer it as to your primary argument. I think what Justice Barrett may have asked you about is your secondary argument and suggesting that the clear and convincing evidence standards, some of these other procedures sure. that have been uh, articulated by the Ninth Circuit, that that goes beyond what Zadvita said as to this second category of people.
6: Sure. So as to the as to the bond hearing-related argument, I don't think the core of our argument has to do with the the burden of of proof and clear and convincing evidence, which I agree with you is not articulated in Zedvitas. Quite frankly, Your Honor, I don't think this Court has to reach that issue because the government has never argued that the bond hearing, in our case, turned on whether it had a clear and convincing burden of proof. The government didn't even submit a brief in opposition to the bond hearing. It didn't even appeal our client's release on a bond. Clear and convincing had nothing to do with it. He had no criminal record, and again, the government didn't contest it um, in writing or on appeal. So I don't think you would have to set forth a clear and convincing. And as we know, in the vast majority of statutes which don't set forth a burden of 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 um a burden of proof, courts figure it out. And so I don't think the court has to reach that. I think the core part of the second argument, the bond hearing requirement, is the requirement of a neutral adjudicator in that adversarial hearing that's the core part of that and Zadveta's does speak directly to that at page 700 when it says even in if you assume removal were reasonably foreseeable unlike in this case but even if you were to assume removal were reasonably foreseeable then the court the court should consider the risk of aliens committing further crimes as a factor potentially justifying continued confinement. And so uh, so that's the part of Zedvitas that I think you would be applying if you were in the uh, logically downstream argument of bond hearings.
0: Thank you, Counsel. Justice Thomas?
5: Uh, Mr. Shaw, uh, would you prevail uh, had Zedvitas not been decided? Uh,
6: Your Honor, if this Court — if Zedvitas had not been decided — I think we would need the court to embrace the same holding that Zedvitas did reach uh, in order for us to prevail, at least under our logically antecedent argument. It's built directly upon this court's holding in Zedvitas. So, yes, the answer to your question is our argument does depend on applying Zedvitas as it was written.
5: Uh, So you would have to make the Zedvitas arguments under the statute uh, but for uh, uh, our precedent.
6: Yes, Your Honor. If this Court were to overrule Z-Vitas, we lose. But, of course, the government has not asked this Court to overrule Vitas. It has asked this Court to apply it just as we do. Thank you.
0: Justice Breyer, anything further? No. Justice Alito? Justice Sotomayor? No. Justice Kagan? Justice Gorsuch? Justice Baird? No.
3: Thank
1: you, Counsel. Thank you, Your Honors. Rebuttal, Mr. Rayner? Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice. I'd like to begin just by focusing on the two different arguments in this case. The argument on which we sought certiorari and which the lower court ruled on was the argument that after six months of detention, a non-citizen is entitled to a bond hearing at which he can prove that he's not a flight, or at which the government has to prove that he's not a flight risk, or, or he is a flight risk or a danger to the community. Now, Respondent has virtually abandoned his defense of the Court of Appeals decision on that point. His entire presentation ignored that argument and focused on a new argument that they interjected at the merit stage in this Court, that under a straightforward application of Zadvita's, removal is not reasonably foreseeable. That argument is procedurally barred. They didn't file a cross petition, and it would derail this court's consideration of the QP. It is a narrower argument. It is specific to non citizens in withholding only proceedings, and it would not allow this court to decide the broader question that it granted CERT on and that we sought CERT on about the Third Circuit's ruling that all non citizens covered by Section 1231 are entitled to a bond hearing. Setting aside the fact that it is procedurally barred, uh, it's also incorrect on the merits. Removal here is reasonably foreseeable because this is detention pending proceedings. This is just fundamentally distinct from the open ended detention in ZADVITAS. If this court were to hold that ZADVITAS applies to detention pending proceedings, that would be a watershed ruling in immigration law. Detention pending proceedings is common in immigration. We have 1225B, we have 1226A, we have 1226C, we have 1231 as it applies to withholding only non citizens. And if the court were to import Zadvitas to that realm, it would upset all of these statutory frameworks. Respondent has suggested that if the court is not willing to decide his new argument, it should dig the case. With respect, that's a preposterous argument. The court sought cert on a question. Excuse me, the government sought cert on a question. This court granted cert on the question. Respondent should not be able to come in and derail the consideration of that question with an altogether new argument. Lastly, I just want to uh, speak briefly about Demore. Respondents suggested that Demore is not on point because it dealt with criminal non-citizens and Congress had before it findings about criminal non-citizens. Uh, but here, I think it's important to remember that Congress also had good reasons for treating this category of noncitizens differently, just as in Damore, Congress had good reasons for treating those noncitizens differently. In Guzman Chavez, at page 2290, the court says precisely this. It says, look, 1231 applies only to noncitizens with final orders of removal. Categorically, they have a heightened flight risk because they lack any meaningful opportunity to obtain the legal entitlement to be in the United States. And that is especially true with respect to the narrower class of non-citizens at issue here, which are those in withholding-only proceedings with reinstated removal orders. For people like Respondent, they were already removed. They were already subject to a removal order. They illegally reentered the United States. That is a statutory condition for reinstatement. You only get reinstatement if you illegally reenter the United States. And then once back in the United States, they were apprehended again and ordered removed again. We know, by definition those non-citizens pose a greater risk of flight based on their past conduct. Can I ask one question? Yes. Um, You you said the reasonably foreseeable standard doesn't work in this detention-pending proceedings context would be watershed and upend immigration system. Can you explain that, spell that out a little bit? Yes, Justice Kavanaugh. So as we discussed in Damore, court says detention-pending proceedings is just a different beast than open-ended detention. In detention-pending proceedings is very common in the immigration system. There's a host of different provisions that allow for it, and this Court addressed several of them in Jennings. 1225B allows for detention-pending proceedings for a certain category of non-citizens. 1226 allows for detention-pending proceedings. 1231 is a mixed bag. For Zadvitas category non-citizens, they don't have any pending proceedings. But for people like Respondent who are in withholding-only proceedings, that is detention pending a proceeding. So in Jennings, it's a good example of this, the court didn't talk about Zadvitas. The court didn't suggest that Zadvitas was a limitation. The court didn't even reach the constitutional concerns uh, in Jennings. It just stuck with the text, and it stopped with the text being unambiguous. And we submit that the court should do the same thing here.